Good evening and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. Tonight's program, a first for us, is the first of a two-part series devoted to issues unique to veterans. We are all aware sometimes severe physical injuries, even death, can befall our soldiers. Less discussed are the less visible manifestations of warfare, whether myriad physical health issues, addiction to medication, or mental health issues. Relative to their numbers in society at large, military veterans are overrepresented in the homeless. The list goes on and on. This first segment takes on a broader look to veterans and mental health needs, and hopefully resources. Next week, what happens when veterans come into the criminal justice system, the specialized courts and resources devoted to hopefully, helpfully lending a helping hand to those individuals to whom we owe so much? Anyone who has a patriotic born in their, in their body would say thank you for your service to a vet. But do our words match our deeds? Politicians, the ones who send our men and women in uniform into harm's way, routinely promise to take better care of our vets when they come home. Just where have they succeeded and where have they failed? To do our part for our vets, tonight we bring you the first installment in what we hope will become a regular feature of your legal rights, an in-depth discussion of the rights of veterans. So our show tonight, what has society done to support, much less thanks, our veterans. And of course, we want to hear from you, our listener. You are our most important guest. If you want to join the conversation on this important topic, our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866 866- 798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. Our guests are here to educate and inform, but they cannot and will not provide specific legal advice. The opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of NPR, KALW, our guest employers or clients, but they're here to help. And once again, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside the Bay Area, 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You have a question relating to veterans. You're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. After four years in the United States Marine Corps Infantry Division, Jesse Coulter next joined the Coast Guard as a Maritime Enforcement Specialist. Jesse Coulter is the president and co-founder of the Overwatch Collective, podcast and nonprofit 501c3 supporting mental health among first responders, military, and families. In addition to working as a driver, Jesse presently serves in the Coast Guard Reserves. And Jesse Coulter, welcome, welcome to your legal rights. Hey, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. So one of the things that we were chatting about is where things really went wrong. I mean, when veterans returned from World War II and the Korean War, they were greeted as heroes. They received all kinds of benefits. They 
got an education through the GI Bill. They formed families, bought homes, and became the pillars of their communities. If you were looking for a job, military service was a plus. If you were running for office, it was almost a necessity. And now, vets faced not only physical handicaps, but unemployment, homelessness, PTSD, and all sorts of other things. Just what happened? How did this turn around 180 degrees? Ah, I mean, I, that's a lot to uh, to talk about and uh, a lot to wrap in. That's a, that's a really big question. I mean, we were talking about um, before we got on, you know, the very first one when veterans returned home from World War II uh, in the Korean War and they're greeted as heroes. Um, I instantly thought of technology and how technology is kind of implemented in like itself into, uh, um, you know, the military as a whole and kind of gets the public to see like what we, what we do and what everybody else does. So things, uh, things have changed a lot since, <laughs> since World War II and, and the Korean War. We were talking before going on the air about some of these changes in, in the Korean War. We saw footage where you briefly saw somebody really cheering on the the good work that was being done and Vietnam really second guessing a lot of what was going on. And by the time we got to the Gulf War, we had this feed that was given out and this, all the networks were showing the same basic feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And another thing too, for like PTSD and, you know, mental health back then, it wasn't really a thing to, you know, to the public. It was, it was more of like, hey, something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but I have no one, you know, no one to talk to about it. No, one, I don't know how to figure this out. So, PTSD and, and mental health has really um, progressed and, and has shown a lot throughout the years too. One thing that was brought to my attention: the sheer representation of veterans. In the 40s and 50s and 60s, it seems that over 70%, I think 71% to be precise, 71% of Congress was made up of vets. And now it's just the opposite. It's 17% of Congress is made up of vets. Do you think that makes a difference in the kind of support you're going to get? Uh, I think it does. Um, because if, I mean, if you're going to run a country and you're going to have a big military you should know how to run the big military. And if you haven't at least gone through some type of training and you're, you know, up in the forefront of our country, how do you expect people to look at you and, and be like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing or this person, this person knows what, what it takes. So, um, and I think it kind of just builds a lot of credibility too, you know, for like the older presidents that have actually gone out and fought for their country. And it kind of just, Bills that like patriotic. Even going out of their way to serve the country as opposed to just serving themselves, whether it's through the military, whether it's through working as a first responder, whether it's really putting in time to develop the cred. Of course, yeah. And that, yeah, like credibility goes a long way too. So we've heard World War II referred to as the last good war where do you think that turned uh i don't think any war is good but um 
you know, I I would say, I would say around Vietnam, Vietnam, kind of going forward from there, uh, the popularity kind of drastically dropped. You know, like like I said, going back to like technology, everybody's starting to have the know of like what's going on overseas, and and everybody's got their own opinions about things, and you know, the internet, and I can look up whatever I want, and. So for people to have easy access to all this stuff that's, you know, that's going on that should be confidential or, you know, should not be shown to the public, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to steer your country to fight for what's right if, you know, half of the country thinks, you know, the, the other way. So I would say somewhere around Vietnam era. One of the things that I noticed is the number of hours of coverage that was happening during Vietnam and since Vietnam devoted to military technology. So instead of seeing the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of soldiers that are out there really trying to fight and do a good thing and support the local populations and the like, you're watching drones come and take down planes or take out villages or yeah or or planes flying overhead and you're really not seeing the experience of what we are sending good people in to try to try to do some good in the world yeah exactly i think the message is is lost in in translation so it's it's tough too because like for example you know i was in the marine corps and i was in hawaii and i don't know if anybody listening was either stationed in Hawaii or, um, you know, have been to Hawaii as a military member, but they hate us there that, you know, the locals, they, they don't want anything to do with the military. And if, if you're caught in the wrong area in, in Hawaii, you're, you, uh, count your blessings because <laughs> it's going to get rough. And so, and if that's just one state, you know, um, you know, what other states are like that and, and not just states, you know, people and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of hard to kind of grasp because it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm just doing a job. I'm doing my job here. You know, I, I sign a dollar line. I'm here to fight. And then, you know, these people have their own views of, of the government and, and the military. So the other thing that I think is lost on people often lost on people is that these horrific scenes that they've seen on television or on the internet with drones attacking or bombs being dropped on civilian targets. As a soldier in most most of the environs, your experience is probably a lot closer to the victims that are being seen in that footage than they are to the person in the plane or maybe in Nevada operating a, a drone remotely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird, you know, because it's, like you can, I mean, you can look up any stuff and, and you can find all sorts of, you know, gun runs and, and drone strikes. And, um, I mean, shoot, you name it, you can find anything on the internet and it's kind of being like desensitized to, to these people. And, um, like I said before, like it goes either way, you know, like for me, it's like, I, I like seeing this stuff because I served and it's like, hell yeah, let's do it. And other people are like, why, why? Like, this is, you know, it doesn't need to happen. So 
the, the, the unpopularity that came from, you know, World War II is just a lot of people are starting to know and ask questions about why. And so. So we talked a little bit about the imagery and some of the experience that whether it's civilian populace has or whether it's the soldiers themselves that have had. But now people, they finish their service, they come back home. What are some of the most common problems that are facing vets today? Uh, right off the bat is homelessness, no doubt. Um, that's a major one. And I actually uh, was on Facebook yesterday and I see like some people, like, you know, when someone likes something, it says like, hey, your buddy liked this or commented on this. And it said, um, I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do when I got out or, or somewhere along the lines of getting out of the service and not feeling like a sense of belonging, right? Like find that purpose. A lot of, a lot of vets get out and they don't, they don't really know what to do, right? They say, oh, you can go to school, um, use your GI bill. And that's pretty much it. They kind of just kick you to the curb. So that sense of purpose when you get out is kind of just shot. And if you don't have a good family to start to help you out, you're kind of just stuck on your own right there. So that's, those two are probably the major, major ones right now. And then you have, you know, PTSD and other mental health issues that coincide with that. And it just gets worse. If, you know, you get out, you already have those um, symptoms and, and, uh, and then you just tack on homelessness and um, some other uh, mental health issues. So. so if I understand correctly, if you have the support already waiting for you when you get out, things look pretty good. But it sounds like what you're describing is that today when people leave the service, there's not a whole lot of structure to help them make that transition. Yeah, so we we all so everybody in the military goes through what's uh, for the Marine Corps TRS, so transitional Red, uh, readiness. Um, I want to say system or something like that. I forget what the S was, but basically it's like a week long course that gets you ready to get out. You kind of do all your paperwork. Um, you get in touch with like the VA. You um, kind of like do resume stuff and kind of gets you ready for to go back into the civilian world and. I did it. And I know everybody probably else did it too. They're like, all right, check, check, check. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I want to get out of here as fast as I can without actually taking the time to understand what these guys give to you. Granted, it's only a week long and they don't even want to be there to boot. So all that information kind of just goes right out the window when you get your DD-214. You're like, all right, I'm out of here, boys. Like it was a fun run. And then you get out and you're just kind of like smacked in the face. So thankfully when I got out, I had my parents... Um, I came home, I went to school for a little bit, um, and I was able to live with my parents while I went to school, and using the GI Bill, I was able to save up some money and, and whatnot, so, um, but yeah, if you, you kind of really don't have that support system on the way out, it's kind of it's kind of tough. So when you got out, was the world anything like you expected? Anything like <laughs> they taught you it would be? No. No. And... When I so I went to Santa Rosa Junior College, and uh, I wanted to be a communications major because I wanted to be able to publicly speak without having to stutter uh, so often. <laughs> but 
um, when I went there for the first semester or two, uh, I had to take like poli science and it's weird when you go through, you know, two deployments and you go like overseas and you kind of experience all these other cultures, all the other nations and you get back and, and um, these teachers and these kids are just sitting there and they just talk about things that just like that they see what goes on and then you see what actually goes on. And um, that's, that's, you're like, well, that's obviously wrong. Like I was there or like, I seen this or I actually did this. How, how can you say like one thing and whatnot? So that's another issue too. Um, a lot of vets have coming out is like, again, that sense of purpose and like kind of conforming and coming back to like the civilian world is it's not the same as it was when you left. But it kind of is, if that makes sense. Is the world that different or is it that you have been taught to see it differently and it no longer fits? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I had a similar, well, maybe not similar, but a very analogous experience when I returned from a very conservative law school during a break to drop in on the very liberal university that I had graduated from. And I was just shocked at how much it had changed. Yeah. And then I left there uh, and realized it's, it's like it was, it's me that's changed. <laughs> yeah. 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 No doubt. Cause like you go for, you're gone for four years training to fight and then you come back and you're like, wow, this is, I've changed a lot. <laughs> But that's because you had the insight to realize it was you that changed. And then you could start tapping into the things you learned before and after and how to put it together. And and that's, that's a huge one too, is, so I kind of messed, I didn't mess up, but I was in the infantry. And so the infantry MOS, which is the military occupational stand. um, Oh my God, I forgot what the S is, specialty, Um, you know, your job infantry doesn't really conform to civilian um, needs, right? Like I, I don't, they don't need door kickers out and some random job. So my job didn't correlate to civilian side besides like law enforcement or, or security. Um, and, you know, you, you pretty much talk a whole bunch of crap on these other guys and you call them pogues that, you know, are like diesel mechanics, um, aircraft mechanics, you know, all these other guys that have actual jobs in the military and then they get out and it translates to the civilian world and they have like a nice job on the way out. So, um, if I had a piece of advice right there, I would say, make sure you pick a job that you would like to do on the outside. (laughs) If you could get jets, you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Like my buddy, he was a diesel mechanic in the Marine Corps and now he's, he's got a nice cush government job working on diesel, diesel engines. So, so what do you find is the main needs of veterans? I'd narrow it down to support. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, say that we're here for your support and we're here, you know, we're here for you if you need us, but nine times out of 10, no one's going to reach out and ask for that help. Um, unless they're on their, you know, their last limb, but support of like actually showing them that like, Hey, this, like, this is here for you. So back to that TRS thing, they, they gave us, um, a contact information for this, this guy at the VA. And he was like, basically my rep for when I got out to go see, I never did. So I, I screwed the pooch on that one, but 
if it was somebody else that wasn't with the VA and it was kind of like someone to local to your area that was like, Hey, I just got out. So recently, this is what I did. You know, I'm here if you need me type deal, like a buddy system. Um, that kind of support goes a long way because like I said, you get thrown to the wolves and you're kind of just alone and you really have no one to turn to. So, um, yeah, the main need is definitely support. Um, because, I mean, a little goes a long way with that. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM. I'm Jeff Hayden, your host. Tonight we're discussing veterans and their specific specific issues specific to veterans, such as uh, mental health support. And we have with us tonight the president and co-founder of the Overwatch Collective, Jesse Coulter. If you have questions my guest, our phone number is 415 415- Eight four one four one three four. Again, that's four one five eight four one four one three four. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll free at eight six six seven nine eight eight two five five. That's eight six six seven nine eight eight two five five. As always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. That is any question you have about veterans, about services that are available, what their needs are, anything of the kind. You're not limited to the point we may be in our conversation. So you talked about support. What type of support do you think would be most helpful? Do you think having somebody that checks in on you once in a while? Or do you think having a place that is scheduled for you to go there? Or what services do you think are really going to help along the lines of support? Um. There's a well, yeah, there's a lot of support and there's a lot of services that are available to veterans. Um, like first thing that comes to my mind is uh I think it's boots boots to hats or um boots to hard hats or something. But it's it's these types of services that um are very oriented towards veterans, um, on getting you know, veterans jobs when they get out. Uh like boots to hard hats is for any type of union work um, and you can just kind of sign up and give them your DD 214 and you kind of, you got a good chance of getting a good job um, through that. And, uh, and there's so much more um, other services out there that are like willing to help, um, you know, you, if you need, if you need it. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm like John a blank on, on some of the other names of the, uh, the services that are out there. But I mean, if you ask people will help. Um, and and they'll 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 gear you in the right direction. What kind of services are available, for example, for homeless vets? Um, off the top of my head, I'm not too sure. Um, I know there's a whole bunch of nonprofits that um, are around and that are nationwide that help out with uh, the homelessness for vets. Um, uh, I'm trying to steer away from the VA because I don't really know much about. Um, like what, like for, for example, for the VA, you can, you know, they have a whole bunch of services that are at the VA to help you with whatever you need. Um, but I just don't specifically know those services. What types of things are out there to help get homeless veterans off the streets and give them really a first step towards turning it around? Um, again, like there's like not a lot of nonprofits, but it's, it's 
the first step is, you know, wanting to get off the street. And I know, I don't know, most, most people do want to get off the street and get the help that they deserve, but taking that initial step. Um, and I mean, we can, I can look up some, some nonprofits that help, you know, homeless veterans and stuff. Um, but yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not too sure. Well, what are the needs of vets that are in need of, for example, physical treatment? Um, some of the needs for vets, like you said, physical treatment, um, are simply just of being able to afford to go to the doctors and getting that help like at the VA, right? You go to the VA, Hey, I need, um, you know, a doctor for my knee that I blew out in 2010, um, while I was serving, it's all these needs that they have aren't really being met and it kind of stacks on top of each other and it just kind of deteriorates them inside. So physical treatment and other stuff like that at the VA is kind of, kind of stressful. We were talking a bit before going on the air and you described an atmosphere of somebody going in and needing certain supports from the VA. And you gave me a fairly, fairly colorful description of what the reception was like. Um, do you recall that? And can you tell us on the air? Yeah. So a lot of people, um, and veterans, a lot of veterans, they, they use the VA because that's what they're, you know, they're told to use. And, you know, when they go to the VA, they're expecting the help that they deserve. And so when they get there and they're like, Hey, I have, you know, such and such problem. Um, this is my issue. This is what I'm going through. And, you know, those are, all right, you have to make an appointment to see a doc. You have to do all this stuff. And then, you know, some of these guys and women, they need it like ASAP. They need it as soon as they can and they can't get it because the people at the VA are like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get you in a, a month. And you know, that that's obviously not good. And, and especially someone with mental health issues, if you tell them, Hey, yeah, we can get you in in a month when they need to go probably to the doctor's or the ER like right now um, is just terrible. And so it's, it's like this forever cycle of uh, going in, getting checked up and then kind of waiting for the next checkup. But on the flip side, you know, I, I've talked to numerous amounts of people and that have nothing but good things to say about the VA. So it's all, it's all relative to, to where you are and, and, and who you get as um, you know, your doctor. So the impression that I get from from what I hear of the VA is a lot of the people that work at the VA have come for all the right reasons. They came in very committed. They really wanted to do some good. But that there's a bureaucracy that you have to deal with that sometimes, if not often, gets in the way. Yeah, well, VA is a governmental uh, institution. So whatever governmental facility you have, you're going to have what comes with it, um, all the politics that come with it. And like we were discussing earlier with all these different, uh, you know, presidents that say, oh yeah, we're going to help the VA. It's like, cool, you're going to help the VA, but what are you going to do? Right. And then, then they go, oh yeah, we got all this money to dump into the, you know, the VA. And then, you know, here's so much money, a hundred million dollars towards the VA. And then it just goes right into it, but there's nothing to come of it, you know? So, and 
and it's weird to me because all these doctors are like, yeah, you don't have these problems or, you know, you got to prove to me that you have these problems. And then you go get tested for them and they're like, oh, well, we don't see any significant, you know, reason why you need this. Um, and they act like it's coming out of their pocket. So that's another thing that kind of turns me sideways. So a similar experience to if you are in an accident and suffer an injury, you may at some point not only have to deal with the doctor that's treating you, but perhaps a doctor that's examining you for the insurance company or the other person's insurance company. Uh, they want you to prove it up, and they're really looking to save some money. It's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's kind of – it's actually terrible. It's Yeah, that's actually – that's exactly what it is. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. And we'll be back right after this. On the next Fresh Air, how Israel is moving to the far right. Ultra-Orthodox and ultra-nationalist parties formed a coalition government with recently re-elected Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What does that mean for Israelis, Palestinians, Ukraine, and the U.S.? We'll talk with Israeli journalist Anshul Pfeffer, author of a biography of Netanyahu. Join us. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, Fresh Air with Terry Gross on 91.7 KALW San Francisco Bay Area and online at KALW.org. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. And if you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's lower referral service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. You can call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. So we talked a little bit about the needs of veterans in physical treatment. What about needs of needs of employment? You mentioned one, for example, boots to hard hats. What other types of employment are people looking for? What are they finding? Um, so employment. So I think earlier it was in uh, when you mentioned it, um, talking about uh, right here, if you were applying for a job, military service was a plus Um and that still applies to today. Um, they see it as, you know, you've been through a hardship. You've got commitment. Um, you've got you know dirt on you. It's it's good. We want that in our in our um, in our job site and stuff. So for employment, I see it as honestly, you really have it up on basically everybody else that was not in the military um, or you know first responder world because it's it's something that a lot of people don't have and like certain training and and certain um certificates and stuff that you have and you have achieved you can apply towards that so um employment is relatively um great you know because unless you're you know you're going for something that it requires a certain degree or whatnot but if you just have the base base level uh military experience and Employment is good. And there's a lot of companies out there that um, will put you on top of others just because you have uh, military experience. You brought up something 
that I was going to hold off till later, but you brought up first responders. Is there a strong tie between military experience and first responders? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And are you talking about, um, like the experience of first responder and the experience of military? And does the group that's fulfilling one often gravitate into the other? Yeah, no doubt. Almost a lot of people that I know um, that got out of the Marine Corps have gone into, uh, you know, firefighting, law enforcement, you know, um, medical. And it's it's kind of like that sense of rush, that sense of adrenaline that you had in the, in the military that you constantly had. You're, you're basically living off a high of adrenaline. And then you go into the law enforcement or you go into firefighting. Uh, or you get in the back of an ambulance, it's kind of just the same thing, right? So it's still that like rush of adrenaline and, hey, what's my next move? What's going to happen? You really don't know, it's, you know, that element of surprise. So a, a lot of people do transfer out of the military into um, um, first responder world. You know, it's an inter- interesting description I've heard of the first responder world um, about having hours and hours and hours of boredom and just moments minutes of just absolutely frantic activity mm-hmm. yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's uh that's what gets you right there it's like you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting and then you're like all right i'm gonna go to sleep and then you know phone goes off so um it's yeah and and a lot of things too is that um trauma if so if you've experienced trauma uh related incidences in the military war world, um, you can kind of understand that it's it's really only overseas. If we're talking about like you know combat PTSD and stuff like that, but as a first responder, they uh, they kind of see it every day and every you know it could be every call you know to the extent. So, speaking of call, let me turn it to Harry from San Francisco. You're on your legal rights. Welcome. Yes, I just wanted to call and say with regard to histor- history and the treatment of veterans, everyone should read about the Botus Army and also read uh, essays from, uh, this uh, retired Marine uh, general who had quite an indictment of the, uh, of the forces. Uh, and also I wanted to say that, uh, you know, we need, you know, uh, there's a lot of inner wounds from uh, PTSD, from the experiences they have. If you find, like, you, when you and people who grew up, I'm sure, with their parents, went through World War II, they never talked about that. And I think that that's uh, really something that needs addressing. And, you know, power can see nothing without a, a demand. And veterans need to demand better services, especially better health services. And we see the res- results of some of these shootings that are done by ex-military when they don't. So uh, I just wanted to add that to the mix. Uh, that was General Spedley Butler, by the way. I highly mm. encourage everyone to read him. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And it's a great show, and I'm really happy you're bringing up these topics. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Harry does bring up a few interesting points, and one of the things that I picked, that I gleaned from what, what Harry said we earlier discussed the differences between World War II and some of the more recent wars. One of the things that I think is unmistakable are the sheer number 
of soldiers that went off to fight in World War II compared to what it's been since. We've so automated things that it's an, a lot fewer people sharing the experience, which when it's done, I would think means a whole lot less support, a whole lot fewer people you could compare notes with and talk to about your experiences and network with. Yeah, it's so this that what he said like instantly brought to my my grandpa. He was he was in the army for 27, 28 years. Um and he did a few tours in uh, Vietnam and thankfully he he made it all the way through and retired, but he had all these stories that I would, you know, poke and pick at the bear and he'd be like, "No, don't don't like, you know, no." And then my dad, you know, always try to get it out of him and it's like I get it. You don't want to tell your family what you've done, what you've been through. Um, but you can't just, you can't just keep it inside of you. You know, you gotta, you gotta talk to somebody, whether it's, um, you know, a brother or sister in arms, or if it's just somebody else on the street that you just strike up a conversation with that kind of can talk to you about it and talk through you, you know, talk through it with you and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more aware of PTSD and, and, what is going on with it and inside their brain. Um, but yeah, back then it was like, Hey, this happened, kick dirt and keep going. So. Is it true that what I have seen and my views are very, my experience is much more limited, but it seems that the people who are actually doing stuff during an emergency situation are more likely to get PTSD. The people that stand on the sidelines in panic have already gotten that out of their system. And that delayed response are the people that weren't having the panic at the time. But the the same people that pull you out of it are the ones that pay the price later. Yeah, no doubt. And a, a word that we hear all the time whenever we uh, have – um, you know, guests on our podcast that our first responders is um, compartmentalized, you know, so they, they go to a call, you know, they deal with it, they come back, they throw it in their backpack, right? Like throw a rock in a bag. You go to another call, you take that rock, you throw it in your bag and then so on, so on and so forth. And then your bag just gets heavier and heavier. And then at the end, you know, at the end, it's your breaking point. The bag is going to rip because you have so many rocks. And, and that's what we're trying to like, let people know is that, Hey, you got to spill those rocks before it gets too full, you know, otherwise it's not going to turn up well for you. So, um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Those people that pull out other people and get called, um, you know, on their worst days are the ones that pay the price ultimately. And the ones who got plucked out start to move forward out right away and they're fine. Yep. Yeah. The ones who addressed their issues, um, you know, immediately, um, are still kicking and fighting. Tell me a little bit about the needs of vets in the way of housing. Um, so one thing that I really like, and I haven't yet to use it, uh, is our VA loan. Um, if you're familiar with that, um, what it is, it's basically, it's 0% down, um, and very little interest. Um, if anybody's listening and they, they have more to speak on it, or if, you know, um, you're a realtor and you know more about this, please, um, 
I'd I'd like to know, but that's basically one thing that I know about housing is the VA loan and I've been waiting to use it. Um, it's really helpful. Uh, they really work with you. The only downfall I heard to to housing and using the VA loan is that they're very strict. So you can't just buy like some random house and, you know, the VA is giving you the money for this. So they want this house to be nice. In this area where so many houses, even marginal houses are going to require what's legally considered a jumbo loan. Does that take you outside of the VA loan? Do you know? Um, I don't think so. Um, I know that there is by um, zip code, they have a certain amount designated for that zip code. Um, so for example, if you're in San Francisco, I'm just ballparking here. You could probably get upwards of like $800,000, $900,000 for a VA loan. Um, but if you have more than that, you can obviously request it. Um, but it, it all depends on where you live and how much they're willing to give you on based on where you live. So based on what the houses are selling for in the area, they're going to adjust. Exactly. So based, so same thing for uh, like education, like the GI bill. Um, if you use the GI bill and you want to go to school, they'll pay you based off uh, of, of, you know, of where you're going to school. So for example, if you're going to school in San Francisco at San Francisco state, I'm pretty sure it's like $5,000 a month. You get an NBAH, which is basic allowance for housing. And um, if you're, I don't know. Let's say you're in North Dakota. It's probably going to be like 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they might go to 850. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden. Tonight we're discussing veterans' issues with the president and co-founder of the Overwatch Collective, Jesse Coulter. You still have a few minutes to call in if you wanted to call. If you have questions for my guest, our phone number is 415-841-4134. Again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. You can call regarding any question you may have on veterans' issues tonight. You're not limited to the point we may be in our conversation which I'm about to shift and ask you about educational needs of veterans. Uh, used to be we talked a bit about the GI Bill. Is it still out there? Yep, it's still out there, still going strong. Um, and you also have the Montgomery GI Bill. Um, I know that one's a little bit different. It's basically where you pay into it while you're serving, and then when you get out, um, you get it. And the GI Bill covers some some schools, basically all of them for the most part that I'm aware of and Montgomery GI bill only pays for a certain amount of schools. Um, but yep, it's still available. You can still use it. If you're reserved, you have to do so many time active to get it hundred percent. If you're active and you did, I think like 36 months, you automatically get it when you get out. I think if you're honorably discharged, um, and there's also tuition assistance while you're in. Um, and I'm pretty sure you can still get tuition assistance at the VA if I'm not mistaken. Um, that I have to look into. What kind of legal resources are out there? I mean, does, what are the needs of veterans in terms of legal aid? Um, as opposed to, or not opposed to, but in like, in what kind of, in what aspects? What are some of the needs that are unique or perhaps very prevalent amongst veterans that might not be there for the rest of us? Um, 
I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I'm not really too fond of, or not fond, but too, uh, too knowledgeable on the legal side of things. I'm, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of lawyers that are designated and well-rounded and veteran, um, you know, like their rights and what they have. And, um, so one of our guys that we've had on our podcast, John Unruh, uh, or I'm sorry, Unruh, um, he's a lawyer and he helps veterans specifically tackle on the VA, um, and basically get them the, the, the benefits they deserve. And say, if I get like a 20% rating, I can go to him and be like, Hey, I got 20%. I think the VA is joking. Can you help me out? And they'll, they'll come back and say, Hey, this is our client. He deserves 80%. This is why blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's some good legal aspects um, in regarding to your time and service um, outside of that. I, I'm not too sure. Um, and then you also have like JAG and stuff, but. So within the VA, are there lawyers to assist or is that something that's really outside their purview? Uh, it, it depends. It depends on what you, what you need it for. But I, I haven't heard of any lawyers um, or anything like that um, within the VA. So that, that that's new news to me if there is anything like that. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of help outside of the VA um, if you're talking about military uh, matters. And those lawyers at the VA, are they usually looking out for vets or helping them with needs they have outside? Or are they more helping the structure? If I had to take a guess, I would say the structure. We were talking a little bit about that before going on the air and how it seems that every president in the last 40, 50 years has talked about how horrible the DA, how the VA is. And yet, it seems the next president says the same thing and nothing seems to change. What's your experience with that? Are the politicians really stepping up to assist? Uh, I mean, in a way, sure. You know, throwing money where money needs to be thrown at. But I haven't really gone and tackled the VA yet just because I just, I don't want to. And I don't really have the time to waste. <laughs> um, but I mean, like I said before, there's some people that have great experiences and there's some people that have terrible experiences. There's one in, um, I want to say Palo Alto, the VA out in there is, I've heard is phenomenal. And then there's some other VAs that are around there that are just like, why, why is this building even here? So, Palo Alto has facilities, the VA Palo Alto has facilities both in Menlo Park and in Palo Alto per se. And they perform a lot of good services they do a lot of outreach. They do a lot of good work. On the other hand, anybody who has either read the book or seen the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest would probably be surprised to learn that that was based on a true experience that took place at the VA hospital in Palo Alto. Yeah, I got to read that. I also got to watch that. You talked a couple of times tonight about your podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, so real quick, uh, Greg, who was supposed to be on here with us, couldn't because he's working. But 
Um, you know, we created this nonprofit for first responders um, and veterans and their families to get them the help that they need um, by whether it's, you know, supplying resources and, um, and genuinely getting them to talk about, you know, what they're going through. And so on our podcast, we have um, guests come on that are usually first responders or spouses, and um, they talk about some of the traumatic experiences that they've gone through and what they have went through, such as treatment to get the help and kind of um, move, you know, move forward from that. So we have over, I'd say about like 70 episodes so far. Um, and it's nothing but it's nothing but good content and if, you know, if you're, let's say, a law enforcement officer and you've gone through, you know, an OIS and you kind of don't know what to do, like, take a look at our podcast and um, listen to some of the, uh, the officers that we have on and, and what they've gone through and stuff and, and how they got out of that. So that's basically why we're here. And we're here to, you know, pay for therapy as well for those that can't afford it. Um, and that could be a whole nother uh, segment to talk about. But long story short. And when you say you pay for therapy... What kind of therapy do you pay for? Um, whatever uh, the person that is coming to us wants. So we have two or three right now. We have Tony, Dina, and uh, Destiny that are our kind of go-to therapists. And one does um, like group sessions for spouses of first responders. So if you're a spouse and you know, you're having a hard time and you want to go through therapy, you can come to us and, you know, request financial assistance and we'll help pay for you to attend therapy. Um, and Dina, she's, um, she helps out a whole bunch of officers, um, after the, you know, after an incident and, and whatnot. So we've kind of tackled it with her that, you know, if you're, if you're struggling and if you're going through some tough times as an officer, you can, you go to her and talk and, but yeah, we, we understand that therapy is not cheap, especially in you know certain areas. And we understand that it's hard to get the first step going and asking for help. So that's why we're here. So you just ask for help and we're here to help you. And that's operated separately from the podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of combined. So we have like the nonprofit and then we have the podcast to talk about the nonprofit and what goes on and, and so, so on and so forth. What other things do you talk about on the podcast? Um, you name it from like physical, physical health, mental health, PTSD. Um, you know, we talk about military. We talk about what goes on, you know, the veteran uh, community. We talk about the VA sometimes. Um, we have uh, a couple of ladies come on. Uh, that work with the the VA and um, do some stuff with the VA and they come on and they talk about what they do and, and um, you know, who they take care of and stuff. And they kind of give us like an insight on the VA, which is awesome. So it, it's basically everything in, encompassed in the first responder and community world. And we just try to sit back and try to, you know, laugh and have a good time while we talk about our feelings, uh, you know, that, you know, the, the person's feelings and what they're going through. So in a lot of ways, you're reversing some of that PTSD. You're doing a lot of therapy yourself. Yeah, honestly, you know, after our first like 10 episodes, we're like, damn, we might need therapists. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good because all the, all the um, you know, all of our guests are like, hey, this was like actually like another therapy uh, session. And we're like, that's awesome. You know, it's good to hear. You do a lot of good work out there. What are some of the s- stories that you've heard recently? What really stands out in your mind? 
so that people get a sense of just what people are experiencing? Um, so one that automatically comes to my head, um, Mark, he was a firefighter. He came on and he talked about, you know, his trauma and what he went through and, and shared his story as a firefighter and a paramedic. And he, you know, talked about kind of like back-to-back instances um, of calls that he went to. And he, you know, he said he came into this house and um, this mom was trying to boil her, you know, fairly month old daughter or kid. And he's like, that just sent me, uh, cause he had a, a, you know, a kid at the time too. So it's stuff like that, that these first responders go through, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to think because, you know, they're the new or they or they've been there a little bit and they're kind of just throwing all the rocks in their pocket. And then like seeing this mom boil their kid just kind of throws everything out of a loop. So that's one of the things. And there's other, um, there's other stories that we have about suicide and suicide awareness. That's a huge one too, is suicide awareness. Is that what we try to tackle as well? Um, but yeah, there's, there's everything on there. So you deal with people from all over the country? We're trying to, yeah. I, I mean, I moved out to Florida, so uh, we're trying to tackle the East coast now, but it, we started out in California and working our way around. Yeah. And obviously some of the things you're hearing may be unique to another area of the country that we don't see here, or maybe you don't see in Florida or doesn't, don't exist in Texas, but they do in, in uh, North Dakota where you could buy a house for $800. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, and I think just like, if I could say one thing to everybody that's listening, whether you're across the country in Florida or you're in California, it's that no matter what role you play as a first responder, you all see trauma, you all deal with trauma, you all go through the same stuff and it's okay to talk. It's okay to say something and it's okay to not be okay. Do you deal mostly with first responders or mostly with military or veterans? Or mostly a bit first of responders. Um, I mean, both, but mostly first responders just because it's a bigger community. Um, and it's very active. Like I said before, you're seeing trauma every day as a first responder, as opposed to, you know, military, whenever, you know, you go overseas, but yeah, it's, it's mainly first responders. The life of a first responder is in a lot of ways, a lot like the life of a cat. They have hours of hours where they may as well be sleeping, but really frantic activity that comes up. Yeah. Yeah, it's at the flip of a switch, the world can uh, can go down real fast and you you're the one to get called. So thanks for that. Appreciate all that. Well, I'd like to give you a, a maybe 3 minutes or so for any closing thoughts that you have. Um pretty much wrapped it up there. Um, yeah, I mean, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, um, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, the Overwatch Collective. Um, we're pretty adamant on there, and our website's up, and our podcast is the Overwatch Collective as well. And um, yeah, if you have any questions in regards to first responders, um, therapy, um, resources, you name it, just please reach out to us, and we'll get you in contact with you know somebody we know or somebody that we think we'll know that will help you out. Um, and that's why we're here. We're just here to help people and, and, you know, save lives and because we've seen too many people take their own lives and it's, it's not getting any better. So the more we can do to help one, you know, our, our motto is one more is one less. So the more we can do to help one more person, that's one less funeral or one less, you know, tragedy that has to happen. 
And where do people find you? You have a website? Yep. Uh, TheOverwatchCollective.com. Um, our Instagram is The Overwatch Collective as well. Um, and our podcast, you can go to our, our website and um, our podcast is all over our website. And um, our Instagram too, you can just click the link tree and go to Spotify or iHeartRadio. Haven't tackled Apple yet because they're stingy with some of their things, but yeah. And one of the things I found by going through your website is not only did I find a link to your podcast, but also know who's going to be on the other end of the phone. Who's going to, who we're going to be talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whose idea was this? Who put all this together? Uh, like the Overwatch Collective? Yeah. Uh, well, it was, it was originally mine. I, uh, how much time we got? I got a little bit of time. So Greg and I we went to the field. Uh, and if you've ever been to the field of the military, you know that you talk a whole bunch of smack and you do a whole lot of nothing sometimes. And you tell some the randomest stories. And on our way back, uh, back to the, his house, I was like, hey, what if we make a podcast about all this stuff we've done in the military and just talk about it and just drink beer and you name it? He's like, dude, I'm in. Sounds good. And then we started going, we started like kind of forming things up. And then he's like, Hey, what if we get first responders in there? Cause I know they got some crazy ass stories. And I was like, let's do it. And then we started. And next thing you know, people are like, Hey, like, this is awesome. Can we donate? And then we slowly turned into a nonprofit to take in money. And then we turned it into therapy, uh, you know, paying for therapy and, and other stuff like that. So it's grown rapidly. We started June, uh, 2021 and gosh, it's been one hell of a year. And we're just about out of time. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. Tonight we've had a, our first and hopefully the first of many discussions of veterans' issues. Our guest tonight has been Marine Corps veteran, president and co-founder of the Overwatch Collective, Jesse Coulter. Be sure to join us next week on Your Legal Rights where we'll conclude this discussion with the discussions of veterans who find themselves in the criminal justice system and some of the unique programs that have been put in place to help. As always, we'll take your calls and answer your questions. Our show has been produced by yours truly. Once again, thank you to our guest, Jesse Coulter, and especially our thanks to all of you for joining us. And at the controls, Damian D. Minor. I'm Jeff Hayden. Good night and stay safe. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. And if you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bay Area, the Bar Association's law referral service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. You can call 415-989-1616 or you could visit sfbar.org for more information.